The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to a brand new week of Sports Day WA. Thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. I'm exhausted after the weekend just gone. You know, watching the World Cup cricket, the Matildas in all their glory here at Optus Stadium yesterday, 59,000, I think 100 people assembled. There were queues a mile long to get in. Uh, Simply, who were the gate attendants, uh, couldn't handle the influx of people all at once. Uh, There were queues left, right and centre here at Optus, but they finally all got in. And it was just under 60,000 people that assembled here to see the Matildas. And in particular, Sam Kerr put away a hat-trick. Caitlin Ford also a hat-trick and an 8-0 demolition of the Philippines. And I just think for the people that came along, it was entertainment of the highest order. If you've heard the news, if you haven't, I'll let you know that the good oil for Cobram Estate is premium Australian extra virgin olive oil. And at the completion of this year's AFLW season, current Fremantle Dockers Executive General Manager of Football, Peter Bell, will assume a new role on the club's executive as Executive General Manager of Football Talent, Strategy and Special Projects. Now, the club's current Chief Operating Officer and former GM of Football Operations and Performance, Joe Brighty, will take on the role as Fremantle's EGM of Football and will feature more of Joe Brighty because he was on the program just prior to mine that run home with Paul Hazelby and Damian Martin. will feature a couple of clips of what he had to say about his new role. One of the leading stories today for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in Northern Victoria. The other significant story is the Eshamandal Football Club, who have been fined $10,000 and will start uh, season 2024, the premiers of this year, minus four points. It goes against what I floated late last week, was where I was under the impression they would get the $10,000 fine, but there may have been a suspended game sentence. Joining us is Michael Roberts, the West Australian Football Commission CEO. Michael, thanks for your time. Afternoon, Pete. Well, as I said, late last week, I was under the impression it might have been a two-game suspended sentence and a $10,000 fine. In the end, it's come out now officially. East Fremantle will start next season, minus four premiership points and $10,000 lighter in the hip pocket. Uh, tell us about the process that came to that conclusion. Yeah, so we undertake uh, independent audits of uh, some of our clubs this year. And um, through our audit, um, the report came back that there were a few uh, issues that uh, East Fremantle had during the 2022 season um, that um, put them over the the salary cap. Um, And so those breaches were assessed. Um, We got a club response and uh, the commission met and uh, the verdict was that, uh, yeah, that that, uh, the club was in fact in breach of the salary cap in 2022 and handed down those, uh, those uh, penalties of four premiership points, $10,000 fine and a reduction of five player recruiting points for next season. Mm-hmm. So when you look at where East Man will sit, uh, $10,000 minus four points. Um, how does it compare to what South Fremantle copped 
What was their fine? Because they were docked eight points, but I believe their fine was a bit more significant. Was that meaning that the Bulldogs' misdemeanor was more significant than the Sharks? Yeah, their fine was $25,000. Um, so we don't usually, uh, or in the process, you don't sort of compare um, instances. Uh, each each incident is uh, assessed on its on its own merit um, with its own information. And um, unfortunately, the majority of, of what's put East Fremantle over um, the cap was a uh, was an administrative error where a, an external bookkeeper has um, processed superannuation and, and done it incorrectly. And, and so the, a, a number of players, in fact, most of the list were actually um, paid. Uh, an increased or an inflated amount of superannuation as their final payment for the year. So that uh, has been assessed that it, it was an error. It's uh, unfortunate that it um, wasn't picked up by the club and um, there were some other errors as well that, that put them over the cap. Michael, it's happened now twice, both Fremantle clubs in successive seasons. Is the commission now putting the, the Waffle clubs on a bit of notice? Because from an image point of view, you can't afford this to happen be happening repeatedly. No, look, that's right, um, and, and it should be noted we had three other clubs audited in, in twenty twenty or for the twenty twenty two season um, this year, and, and uh, none of those clubs came back with with issues. So it, it's not it's not a sort of widespread thing across the the competition, and um, we know that, uh, that the clubs are run at. Uh, on, on lean operations and uh, some of these mistakes will happen. But uh, at the same time, we've got a, a duty that, um, you know, it's our responsibility to maintain the integrity of the competition, make sure it's fair um, for all. Um, so unfortunately, these things may pop up time to time. Unfortunately for us, it's uh, it's two years in a row. Mm. Let's move on. Uh, there's been a bit of speculation how the 2024 season is likely to play out from a fixturing point of view. Can you enlighten our Sports Day WA listeners across the state? Firstly, uh, if there's been any decisions made on how many games will be played, when the finals will be played, or is it still very much uh, for debate? No, look, we're, we're coming to a conclusion. Uh, I think an announcement will be made shortly. But uh, what we did uh, a couple of weeks ago was, was put it out to our waffle clubs and um, all of our stakeholders um, in, in football because it's important, and I think this year showed with the 27,000 people that turned up to the grand final, that uh, it's more than just the waffle. Um, it's, it's the, the pinnacle of, of football in WA for, for our state that, that we can host a grand final, that junior football, country football, uh, amateur football, everyone can be part of and, and attend. And you know, the junior parade was a significant, um, I guess, number of kids that got the opportunity to, to walk uh, in between games and uh, walk out there as their, in their premiership team. And, um, so we've gathered all that feedback and, and we took it to the board. And, um, yeah, look, it's a, it's an interesting debate of whether you move the season forward to try and um, capitalise on the free air that uh, is football in WA or you, you have it uh, as we did this year. So uh, we're not too far away from announcing a decision. There. So there will be a decision probably, what, in uh, coming weeks or days? Uh, I'd say days. Okay, so we might hear something later this week. Or next week. All right, Michael. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, by the way, uh, we talked about women's sport. We saw the Matildas here yesterday, 59,100. Although a lot of people are scratching their heads wondering, where did this team come from? It's just blown everybody apart, hasn't it? Yeah, look, it's it's wonderful for... I mean, WA, you can, 
you can have any sporting event in WA and, and the fans will turn up. I think that's one of the great things about our state. Um, but secondly, you know, the, the women's sport is, uh, we, we, and we see it in football, we see it at the Waffle uh, w as well. I think you just need to give the girls the opportunity, and uh, and they'll get out there and, and they'll play and they'll be supported. So, wonderful for not not only women's football or women's sport, but um, I think sport in general in WA. Yeah, good on you, Michael. Thanks for joining us, mate, and clearing up the East Fremantle situation and where we're at regarding the WAFL program for next year. Thanks for your time. Thanks, mate. There you go, Michael Roberts joining us. Uh, you can join us on the Tempera Bedshed text machine. Which way would you like to see the Waffle Finals? There is talk that the grand final could be played uh, uh, the weekend of the AFL bye before the AFL finals get underway, which means that the season could start in early March or they just leave it where it is, where the WAFL grand finals played on the Sunday of the preliminary final in the AFL. In other words, about six days before the AFL grand final. Your thoughts on it. Love to hear from you on the Tempera Bedshed text machine 0487 736 736. Nolsey says, Good day, Peter. Uh, he says, There is always talk about Sam Kerr and how good she is, but in all honesty, I believe she is basically the finisher of her teammates' good ball placement. Surely Mary Fowler has to be up there in regards to being one of the best in the world because I think. She is better than Kerr. Just my thoughts, Nolsey. Well, in the end, that's a striker's job. A striker's job is to be fed by the midfielders and to finish it off. And there's no question, when it comes to finishing off, Sam Kerr is one of the best. And some of the biggest names in world sport uh, when it comes to football are the strikers and the way they finish off uh, in relation to goals. So I don't think anyone can get, get close to Sam Kerr because she scores goals in important matches as well. As far as Mary Fowler's concerned, she is super skillful. Unbelievable. I love watching her because she's got great skill close to her feet. And the way she reads the game, the through passes, the ability to cross. And uh, as we saw with the cross to Sam Kerr and that headed goal, which sealed Sam Kerr's hat trick, she's just got a great ability to read where her teammates are and, of course, then execute the perfect pass. Uh, she is a wonderful player, Mary Fowler. And at 20 years of age, she could be anything going forward. Got it in, Nolsey. Thanks for that. Okay, let's get into the top five at five. And there's a Novus Auto Glass near you. 13, 22, 34. Number five. Alligator Blood at the 200 took the front. Romantic Warrior the outside. Alligator Blood at the 100. Romantic Warrior, Mr. Brightside. Still Alligator Blood. Mr. Brightside coming at it with Romantic Warrior. It's a photo finish. Mr. Brightside or Romantic Warrior. Yes, the Cox played, of course, the uh, richest uh, wait-for-age race uh, in Australia, in fact, in the world, and it was Romantic Warrior that lived up to its huge international reputation, becoming the fourth Northern Hemisphere train winner of the storied Cox Plate by edging Mr. Brightside. As you heard, in a photo finish ridden by James McDonald, Hong Kong's premier middle-distance galloper surged home to claim Australia's Wait for age championship by a nose. Number four. Uh, no, staying, mate. Uh, always been committed to Australian rugby. Uh, I want to leave it in a better place. And that's still the job, mate. Long term? Uh, well, I'm committed to make it a better place. It's been an absolute car crash over 10 months. Reddy Jones, two wins from nine games. Swallowed his first time bowing out in the pool stages at a Rugby World Cup. And 
um, 12 or 13 days ago. He said he was committed for the long haul and to see out his contract till 2027, and he quit last night. So, um, yeah, a very sad day for Australian rugby. I think clearly Eddie's trying to spin this and say it's a bigger, broader Australian rugby issue, but as so many people are saying to me and probably your your listeners, that it didn't have to be this way. He made sweeping changes to a team that was mm. not great, but not pathetic, um, and, and they've had their worst World Cup result, and um, why couldn't he have started the rebuild after the World Cup? He has four years heading into a home World Cup, um, but I just think he's seen the writing on the wall and he's not a very popular man in the Australian rugby landscape mm. today. So there you go. That's Tom Decent, the Sydney Morning Herald reporter here on SEN, and that's Eddie Jones, what he said when he arrived back from that failed World Cup attempt at Sydney Airport, saying he's uh, basically committed to the Australian Wallabies. We're going to talk more about that later on the program. Mick Collis is my rugby expert uh, when it comes to Sports Day WA. He'll talk about Eddie Jones. He's got his spin on it. Always very interesting uh, is Mick Collis. And also we'll touch on the big World Cup final between South Africa and uh, the All Blacks as well. Number three. (laughs) Got to keep going. They've got to run. Got to get Jimmy Neesham back on strike. They simply must. Is he back? Is he back? Australia believe he is not. Australia believe he is not. Love a Shane again. Lockie hits. Can't get it through. Australia win. Australia won a magnificent game of cricket. Well, it was a magnificent game of cricket. Uh, the fact that both sides uh, were just up against it. 388 Australia and 383 New Zealand. And in the end, Australia won by five runs. It was just an absorbing ODI contest. Many say that the 50-over side game possibly is dying. But if you have contests like that at a World Cup, then there's certainly life in that form of cricket. It was just an outstanding game. And New Zealand, credit where credit's due. They've had a tough weekend. They lost the cricket by five runs. And as we said, they lost the World Cup as well. Number two. The feed's good. Under pressure, the back is to Clark. It spits away. New Zealand desperately trying to rip it back from the box. It's gone down. Who's coming up with it? That might be it. South Africa fulfilled their destiny as history makers. Yes, well done to the Springboks. It's their fourth World Cup win. They are now the outright World Cup champions four times, the All Blacks three. And, of course, uh, the big controversy was that the All Blacks captain, Sam Kane, found himself in the history books as the first player ever red-carded in a men's World Cup final. Unfortunately, under the current rules, Kane had little argument where he collected Creel high as he stepped back inside with no mitigating factors. But the Kiwis deserve enormous credit and could have won it uh, for the way they fought and kept themselves in the game despite spending the majority of the final down to 14. Number one. Oh, lovely run from Carpenter outside. The cutback. And now Fowler. 15 minutes on the clock. And the Matildas have their early goal. And it's Mary Fowler. She is such a crowd favourite. Oh, she's done well. Skipping past Bonta into the area. Randall trying to go with her. The cutback for Kirk. And that's two. The hometown hero taking the roof off the stadium at Optus. 
The Matildas lead the Philippines by two goals to nil. Ball in, it's a good one for Kerr who can control, and that's three. Inside the opening half an hour, Caitlin Ford. Of a packed crowd and walking out, yeah, it was pretty nice, but um, a great performance by the girls. We've been training at this all week, and like I said, the first game we had a few things to work on, but um, no, I think everyone just came out here and gave 100%, and um, yeah, we worked our, our butts off today, that's for sure. There you go, Sam Kerr on the back end of that 8-0 win against the Philippines here at a packed uh, Optus Stadium yesterday. The caller was Robbie Thompson. I'm going to have a chat to him from the uh, Network 10 commentary team. He was here. He called the game also uh, earlier in the week against Iran. And I'll have to get his spin on what he saw and what he called last night or yet late yesterday afternoon our time. Robbie Thompson will join us next here on Sports Day WA. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, as we mentioned at the top of the program, a huge event here in Perth at the weekend was the uh, Olympic qualifying match uh, for the women when it came to football between the Matildas, Australia's own Matildas taking on the Philippines, who, as we know, at the recent FIFA Women's World Cup, were coached by Alan Stadich, who now is in charge of the Perth Glory men's team. But he made sure they made history by firstly qualifying for the World Cup and also uh, recording their first ever victory, which was against the co-host nation New Zealand, the Philippines winning by one goal to nil. Well, the Matildas played them off the park here at Optus Stadium yesterday putting eight in the back of their net. That is the Philippines net. And joining us is the man who called the action for Network 10 in Robbie Thompson. Robbie, thanks for your time. Absolute pleasure, Pete. Pleasure to be here. It was great to watch yesterday. Okay, it was one-sided, and there was total domination by the Matildas in relation to goals and possession. But I think people just sat back and enjoyed just how good this Matildas team are when they get it together. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's one of the main takeaways from it because we know probably coming into this Olympic qualifying round that the the three opponents Iran, Chinese Taipei, and the Philippines the Matildas should get three wins, but it's 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 never done before you before it's done. You have to go and do it as we saw against Iran, which was a which was a tough game. And we know, as you said in your intro, the Philippines have quality. The Philippines are a, a country that have invested heavily into the women's game. They've gone and found players born all over the world of, Fili- of Filipino heritage, uh, most of them American, so they've come through the college system. They're, they're, they're a solid women's side, but there's nothing you can do in front of the Matildas when they're playing like that. And that's what the fans came to see. So sometimes you can feel a little bit uh, if it's too one-sided, there's no competitive edge. But we were seeing an elite sporting team at the top of its game, and I think everyone recognised that. Yeah, and Tony Gustafsson made it clear with the starting eleven. Uh, he went for the strongest possible combination to uh, kick the game off, and he didn't have to wait long before the Matildas were in front. Yeah, absolutely. No, this was definitely the game that they had to win, and also... With one eye on the third and final round of qualification, it was important um, to really beat Philippines well because the best second-place team will go into the next round as well. So three first-place teams 
and the best second-place team. Now, if the best second-place team was to be the Philippines, Australia would play Japan in all likelihood in the next round. Now, Japan are former world champions. Japan beat Spain 4-0 in the recent Women's World Cup, so people should not forget Japan are an excellent footballing side. If we can avoid them in the playoffs to actually reach Paris 2024, that's good. So, look, Tony was taking no chances with this result against the Philippines. We had to beat them well, and we did. Were you surprised by the turnout, or did you feel there would be a big turnout on the back end and the legacy that the Matildas left us after the World Cup? I, I was really hoping there would be. I, knew, I thought when the three games were announced at HBF, when we knew they'd be there, when we'd seen the momentum that this team, and all the goodwill towards this team, I mean, that's the, that's the main thing, is that the fans want to turn out. They know the players' names. It's not just the Matildas brand. They've gone above that now. We've got the best players in the world, and the girls and the fans, they love them. They love seeing, you know, Ford, Kerr, Arnold, Fowler, these are names that are now, for, for young girls and boys that love football, watching it, these are idols. These are role models and people to look up for. So once we heard that maybe it's going to be changed to Optus, what do people think? Oh, it's a big step up from 20,000 to 60,000. But when they did it, I think they sold out nearly, nearly immediately. I mean, within a couple of hundred tickets, it was, it was incredible. And I think this is only the start, Pete. I think mm-hmm. this is when, we, when the Matildas go back to those playoff matches for the Olympics, there's some talk already that, you know, perhaps the MCG should be the place for it because they'd fill 100,000 yeah. for a big competitive match. This is this is the national team to be behind right now. I, I really do believe that. Yeah. Do you reckon they've leapfrogged the Australian cricket team in relation to profile? Uh, I think in, in terms... And it's, it, this is, you know, comparisons are not easy, especially between men's and women's. But in terms of room for progress, I think there's no doubt that this team, this Matildas team, has a huge margin of progression. They, they are only just starting out and they have so much more they can achieve. And because they are representing, you know, for a long time, the men's cricket team, yes, women go and women love cricket, of course, in Australia, but it's not the same as seeing these girls out there mixing it with the very best in the world. And so you've got the women's game and women's sport in Australia and around the world that is developing at a rate of knots in terms of tactics, discipline, investment, but also in terms of fandom. Mm. You're getting hundreds and thousands of young girls at school that are going, whoa, this is something. And this is generating this energy. And look, I think the Socceroos have done a great job at the last World Cup as well. They've they've created a, a lot of hype. I think the Matildas have moved beyond that just in terms of goodwill. I think they're, they're, I think they're right there at the top of the game in Australia, but the most impressive thing is that I think they've still got so far to go. I think they, they are just flying at the moment. Just having a look at the makeup of the team, we all know about the exploits of Sam Kerr and what she's done for the game. We know about uh, Caitlin Ford. They both scored hat-tricks yesterday. But I think people still marvel at the skill and the wise head that uh, is on young shoulders, uh, 20-year-old Mary Fowler, who could be anything in relation to the world game. Her ability to hit targets and her ability to push the ball where it needs to be pushed and get out of tight situations, it's just, you can just watch her all day. She's such a good player to watch. I think so. I agree 100%. I think she has that rare quality in elite, elite sport, men or women's, where they always look to have more time than everybody else. 
where things can move in slow motion for them because they've got the technique and the vision and, and she is just glorious to watch. She was at the last World Cup. She was the youngest player at the last World Cup in, in France. She was 15. And it's taken her a little while. And she's been around this Matilda's side for, for you know, six, four or five years now. And, and now we're starting to see she's only 20, but she's already emerging. She's played every single match for Manchester City. They're top of the English First Division at the moment. She is an integral part of their side. Um, she is going places and she is going to be a focus. But look at the other players in this team. Claire Hunt plays for Paris Saint-Germain. Ellie Carpenter plays for Olympic Lyonnais. You mentioned, you know, Caitlin, who's at Arsenal. She's just played 100 times. Sam's at Chelsea. Hayley Rasso's at Real Madrid. I mean, these are, these are the best football teams in the world. And we've got players there. Mm. It's not easy. It's not an easy. There aren't many countries that can say that. And Australia can, and I think that's also part of the success of this side. Yeah, beautifully surmised there, Robbie. And, Robbie, finally, uh, the final game is Wednesday night against Chinese Taipei. Again, it's going to be one-way traffic, but what a great way to finish off what's been a remarkable week here in Perth. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and just if I may, just a little word for Chinese Taipei, because this is a side that perhaps 30, 40 years ago were at the front of the women's game in Asia, certainly, and then things fell away. We know the country's had a lot of political problems as well. Their coach, when he came, he said, this is all a learning curve for my team. I want them to see what Australia has achieved, what the Matildas, how big they are. And I want my players to think, this isn't just a hobby for me. This can be a profession. This can be a job for me in the future. And I think that's, how, that's one of the reasons why, look, if that Australian team is doing this for op- opponents, what is it doing for the Aussie kids? that love them and watch them and, and want to be like them too. It's uh, Look, it's sport, it's competitive, it's cutthroat, but if you can add that little good feeling, those great vibes, why not? Let's go for it. Good on you, Robbie. Thanks for joining us here on Sports Day WA. Great call yesterday and all the best for the game on Wednesday. Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Cheers, Pete. Good on you. Robbie Thompson, Channel 10 commentator. This is Sports Day WA. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, and now for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand. A bit of news coming out of Fremantle where the... Club's current chief operating officer and former GM of football operations and performance, Joe Bridey, will take on the role as the Fremantle Football Club's executive general manager of football, taking over from Peter Bell, who has been given another role in the executive team at the footy club. Joe Bridey was on the run home with Hayes and Mato and was asked whether Belly actually had been pushed out. We have had a text message come through. Has Peter Bell been pushed sideways? No, look, it's it's as I said at the start, it's it's one of those ones where we can look at what the strategy looked like for our, for our club moving forward, and obviously for Peter in his discussions with with Simon over time, it's something that they've been talking about for an extended period in terms of what it looks like um, holistically outside of footy. Um, he's been in the leadership role overseeing footy for five years now, and he's seen significant transformation in that football program. Obviously, there was the departure of of Ross and, and JL coming on board and Simon as a CEO, um, a big change across our football program and um, obviously those really difficult COVID years uh, and during that time, Peter performed his, his role in the football program to a plum um, and now it's just an opportunity for us to, 
to redefine what we need to do from a performance and growth perspective and Peter's role in focusing on our talent across the football program from a player's perspective, but also with our football personnel uh, will really set us up for that sustained success. And, and Peter, myself, um, Justin, uh, will work really closely. And in addition to that, Lisa as well, from an AFLW perspective, Peter's role is going to now... AFLW is just exploding uh, at the moment and the requirements have a real focus on player retention and acquisition. So Peter's going to be able to provide another lens to that as well and a real hot and focus in that area. So we'll work closely with, with Lisa and Bob to, to achieve what we want to in both programs moving forward. Joe Bridey there, the new general manager of football operations and performance. Peter Bell, by the way, will now assume a new role on the club's executive as the executive general manager of football talent, strategy and special projects. So a bit of a change there at the Fremantle Football Club. But that update, thanks to Polaris Plate Clearance Deals, are on now. Save $2,000 on the range of 1,000 EPS plus get $1,000 free accessories. Big story uh, broke in the last 24 hours regarding the Wallabies coach. And it is just an absolute soap opera. A man that's going to have his say about Eddie Jones and also have his say about the Rugby World Cup because the Springboks are champions for a fourth time is Mick Collis. And he's going to join us after the break here on Sports Day WA. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Welcome back to Sports Day WA with uh, Peter Vlahos. And of course, you can join the Red Army this NBL season by becoming a Perth Wildcats member today. Just check all the details online. And also, Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game, Worth over $70,000. All you need to do is just shop in store at Beaumont's before November 12 and you're in with a chance to win. TNCs do apply. One of the big stories on the weekend, no question about it. It was sort of floated late last week on Sports Day WA that the immediate future of Wallabies coach Eddie Jones was certainly a bit hazy. There was some speculation that he would resign and walk away from the job 10 months into a five-year deal. And as we've heard and as we know now, it transpired across the weekend. A man that knows more about that code than anybody else. He's my go-to man when it comes to all things rugby is Mick Collis. Mick, thanks for your time. Yeah, Pete, always a pleasure. 10 months into a five-year deal. Gee, they got this wrong, didn't they? (laughs) Rugby Australia. Oh, mate, honestly, we're the laughing stock of world rugby at the moment. So the Wallabies didn't make it past the pool stage in the World Cup for the first time ever. This is the team that's actually won the thing twice, didn't even make it past the pool stage. And the man who they – so they they fired Dave Rennie, who was the original coach, eight months before the World Cup. They parachuted Eddie Jones, who'd been fired from England, but they thought he was going to be the saviour. He's come in saying it's going to be a smash and grab. We're going to win the World Cup. Everyone – drunk the Kool-Aid, we've all got on board. Then we've just seen we just didn't win, didn't win, didn't win, ended up winning two tests out of the nine, and that was against the powerhouses of, I think it was Portugal and um, and some other minnow that we, anyone we could beat. And then now he's come back, and there was those rumours of him being having a Zoom call about the Japanese job because he coached Japan back in 2015. 
and he's denied that. He said, no, I haven't done it. The journos have said, yes, you have. Some very key players with good sources said, yes, he had. But Eddie Jones said, no, I haven't. I'm committed to Australian rugby. I'm 100% committed. I've signed for five years. I'm here. I'm here for Australia. Then, yep, Sunday afternoon, pulls the pin, and he's gone. So it's just, it's been a, we, 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 it was a waste of 12 months. The whole last 12 months for Australian rugby was a, just a complete waste because it did more harm than good, and nothing good has come out of it. I'm just wondering what changed his mind because he spoke of his ongoing commitment that you mentioned to the team upon his return to Australia after that damning World Cup campaign. And then a fortnight on, he's uh, said that he's amicably agreed to the terms of his departure and he made a point that there's no payout in the deal. Now, do you think it was more Rugby Australia's decision or Eddie Jones's decision from what you're hearing? Look, I think it was his because... Look, it, it, it's hard to know what goes on. It's, there's been so. I mean, he was he was a captain's pick. So Hamish McLennan, who's the CEO or the chairman of, of Rugby Australia, he thinks he's the CEO, but he's the chairman. He's the one that that claimed all the glory of I'm the one that got Eddie Jones. So I think he should go as well. But now he's come out and he's saying that you know he's no quitter. So he's almost having a go at Eddie Jones, saying, "Oh, Eddie's quit," and Hamish McLennan, "I'm no quitter." But Eddie's McLennan's the one that everyone wants to go. He he's just been a a nightmare, I think, in that role. And, and apparently Eddie had a couple of clauses in his contract where if they didn't have the money and they didn't have this um, this centralised pathway for Australian rugby, that he was able to leave. And apparently they said they would have that in place um, by uh, January when Eddie was there and, and, and it didn't happen. So apparently he did have that clause and and I can't look this talk about this centralisation program is going to come and I know one of the big dramas that he did have and the whole point of centralisation is that Rugby Australia look after all the high performance stuff through the five super rugby teams so they get to share all the details they get to work programs with players Eddie Jones has come in with the Wallabies and he reckoned that they weren't fit enough so he apparently speaking to some of the um, some people that I know that were involved in it, they just said that he was absolutely flogging them and running them like dogs. And all of a sudden, we started getting all these soft tinge injuries. So we had Taniela Tupo, he got injured. Will Skelton was injured. So the whole point of this centralisation is that the Rugby Australia would have control over the fitness levels of all these players. And that was one thing that Eddie Jones insisted that he had in, as part of his contract for him to stay, and it, and it hasn't come on board. So... I think it's probably, look, 50-50. I think they'd sacked every other coach that had a poor coaching record. Eddie's was, uh, what's two out of nines, what, less than 20%. They sacked Dave Rennie on 38%. So I think they were pretty probably keen for him to go. But I think Eddie also, it was almost untenable. You can't have that sort of record and then and have another four years. I mean, Hamish McLennan, who would sign a coach to a five-year deal? Like, it just it didn't make any sense at all. But that's what they did, and now it's all blown up in their face. And and now we're looking we're looking for a new Australian coach. Mm. Saying that, last question before we move on to the big event on the weekend, being the World Cup final, and what a match that was. Twofold question with the final question: What are some of the names that are possibly being tossed up, and when will a Wallabies coach need to be in place for their next assignment, their major assignment? So there's well, there's a couple of names. There's a guy called Robbie Deans, who's um, who's had a go before, and uh, I think it was around about 2000 and 
uh, around 2000, and I know we've had the World Cup in 2011, so he's in that sort of era. But he, I bumped in in France, and he said, no, he's he's not doing it, even though his name was thrown around. A guy called Ronan Agara, who's a very famous famous Irish player, his name's been thrown around. Michael Checker, who coached the Wallabies to the World Cup in 2015, and then was sacked in 2019 because they he got a bit out of control and they brought in Scott Johnson as director of rugby to oversee him and, and Checker didn't like the fact that he had people above him. So he's gone. They are talking about him coming back. He's currently coaching Argentina. They made it to the semifinals of the World Cup. And then uh, a guy called Dan McKellar, who's now, he coached the Brumbies. And, the, and the, the ridiculous thing about Dan McKellar, so when they had Dave Rennie was the coach, Dan McKellar was the assistant coach. And the whole plan was for Dave Rennie to take the Wallabies to this World Cup. And then after this World Cup, Dan McKellar seamlessly takes over and he's in charge then through the next cycle of the next World Cup. But when they sacked Dave Rennie and they appointed Eddie Jones on a five-year deal, Dan McKellar, the man in waiting, said, well, I'm not going to wait another five years. So he went to England. So he's currently got a three-year contract with Leicester in England, but he does have a get-out clause in his contract that if he gets the Australian job, he can break his contract. So... Now they're trying to get Dan McKellar to actually come back and do the thing that they told him he'd be doing 12 months ago. And that's why I'm saying it's just this whole 12 months has just been a, a, a pointless exercise. It's just created more harm than good. But I think Dan McKellar, a lot of the coaching staff that left when Eddie Jones came on, guys like Laurie Fisher, Dan Palmer, or Dan was there for a while, but Laurie Fisher wouldn't work with him. They've all put their hand up and said, look, if Dan McKellar does come back, we'll come back. And I think that that would be the best thing for Australian rugby because he's... Um, he's got experience there with the Brumbies. They're, they've been a very good team. People respect him. Coaches want to actually work with him, and the players be very happy to have him as well. So he'd be. I think the smart money would be on Dan McKellar in terms of when they need. They've got those mid-season um, tours around June, but I think they'd want they'd want him back by the start of the year so he can start looking at what they've got, what Australian rugby's got, what he's got to work with, what he needs to do, and try to look rebuild some of the just the goodwill that has been sucked out of Australian rugby. So many rugby fans, they're just disappointed with, the obviously, the result of the World Cup, disappointed with the whole mess that Eddie Jones has got in. They're disappointed with the administration. So they need someone to come back and say, look, it's all going to be OK. Give everyone a big hug and then start getting rugby back on track in Australia because at the moment, geez, the wheels have fallen off and we need to get them back on quick smart. And let's go to the big one on uh, the weekend in Paris. Uh, huge... World Cup final, South Africa winning their fourth World Cup, now surpassing the All Blacks who have won three. You mentioned Australia, the Wallabies have won two. How would the All Blacks captain Sam Kane be feeling after he made history uh, being the first ever red carded in the Men's World Cup final and probably cost his nation the, the World Cup in some ways? Yeah, I know it's tough. I've just finished watching, or I'm halfway through the Beckham um, series or the documentary and and just the grief that David Beckham called when he got that red card mm. in that World Cup against Argentina and look, I don't think they'll be as harsh on Sam Kane but he deserved the red card and that's the rule I mean the thing is rugby all this year with all the super rugby stuff any head contact it's it's a yellow that gets reported and then if there's no mitigating factors it becomes a red and that's happened all year so it's not like it's a surprise to these players and and you can only blame the player. People are saying, oh, it's a World Cup, you know, we shouldn't be sending people off. But that's the rule. And he didn't, he, you, if you watch the replay, he didn't bend at his knees, he didn't bend at his hips, he was upright and he and he had the head clash and that's what happened. So you're going to get a red card. So yes, he will be certainly absolutely gutted 
as the captain. And that meant, because they lost a player in the first two minutes, a guy, uh, Frizzle, the number six, he had a, uh, he had a, fell on a, on a, one of their props knees, so he got yellow carded. So for the, out of the World Cup final, New Zealand had 14 men for 60 minutes. The um, South Africans, they had yellow cards as well, but to have one guy off and the, and the captain, who's got such a great work rate and his defence is so good, to have him missing for basically what well, was 50 minutes because he got it 10 minutes before half time. That was a um, yeah a real telling blow. But you know you got to take your hat off to the All Blacks. I mean that team was outstanding, and for I, I, I couldn't name any other team that would push the Springboks that close in a World Cup final playing with only 14 men. Like, it was an amazing effort. And it all came down to two missed kicks. So, Richie Mawanga missed the conversion attempt. And then uh, Bowden Barrett, it was at the end with, I think, three minutes to go or seven minutes to go when the Springbok got his yellow card. Had that shot from about 49 metres. He had enough on it, but it just drifted out to the left. You know, those little things, if that ball had gone over, All Blacks have won the thing. So, it, was, it wasn't just Sam Kane. Certainly, that, that made a big a big impact on it, but they did have their chances. And how they had their chances, I don't know. South Africa would have been absolutely filthy if they lost that one, as it was, as you mentioned. They're the first team to win four, but, geez, they only just snuck home. Good on you, Mickey. Uh, great summation. Thanks very much for your time, mate, on what's been a, a big few days when it comes to the sport of rugby worldwide. And we'll keep in touch here on Sports Day WA. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Pete. Mick Collis uh, talking rugby here on Sports Day WA. Just uh, for Irrigear, Irrigear is here to save time and water. Uh, just the latest sports news headline, if you haven't heard, that the Fremantle Dockers have conducted a review and their current uh, Executive General Manager of Football, Peter Bell, will assume a new role in the club's executive as the Executive General Manager of Football, Talent, Strategy and Special Events. And the club's current Chief Operating Officer and former General Manager of Football Operations and Performance, Joe Brighty, will take on the role as Fremantle's Executive General Manager of Football. So a few changes there in the football department for the Fremantle Dockers. And Scott Lysett, the former West Coast Eagles uh, ruckman and premiership player of 2018, has been delisted by Port Adelaide. Just a couple of bits of footy news. Thanks to Irrigear, which offers expert advice and better irrigation solutions to save time and water. Irrigear is here. Before I go, the Leg Up is Australia's fastest growing tipping service. And tomorrow, the Golden Eagle. And we're all in. Hawaii 5-0. Now, this horse is ticking over beautifully and looks ready to explode in the Golden Eagle with the extra trip. We've already seen the Everest form stand up with Espiona getting over the top of their rivals in the invitation. There doesn't look much speed engaged here, and he will get the chance to own the race from the front. The biggest tip is that Rowilla took his suspension immediately, so he'd be back in time for this bloke. Uh, pretty hard to beat, so get a leg up on the bookies with Australia's fast-growing tipping service, thelegup.com. That's the show. Thanks to the Kia EV6 GT, the World Performance Car of the Year, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for 45 years. Thanks, Jimmy, and thanks also to Paul Heath for panelling the program. We'll be back again tomorrow from 5 right here on SENWA's Sports Day WA.